All right, we're pivoting from the classic format of NCAA tournament recaps we've been doing the last couple weeks to doing stuff in the present day. And thanks on short notice to Nick Schultz for coming on the Geno Green Experience. Nick, thanks for coming on here. Geno, thanks for having me, man. How you doing? It's been two years, man. You, I'm, I'm pumped up, man. Like just in general, not just as a writer, but just as a fan of the sport, man. It just feels good because it feels like we have made up from not having a tournament last year. Going into this year, it's like we have two tournaments and one with all these upsets, man. And you know, oh, my ahead. brackets in shambles. So <laughs> most most people's are, but we want to focus on Loyola Chicago and Oregon State on Saturday afternoon at 1:40 p.m. Central Time on CBS at Bankers Link Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. And to think in this scenario, I'm sure we're on the same page because we've covered enough Loyola games in the past. This was not really unprecedented for them to get to this point. This was a possibility that, yeah, maybe they had a chance of being Illinois. I just think that the bigger shock from yesterday was how they did it and how much they dominated, and they kept Kofi and Io basically quiet the whole game. I think you're exactly right. I live in Dwight, Illinois, which is like an hour north of Champaign. So it's very Illinois-heavy, the area I live in. And I'm a bartender on Sunday nights. So I was planning, like, okay, I'm either going to get to work and hear about this all night, or I'm going to be dishing it out all night. I kept telling people, it's going to be a close game. All these Illinois fans, oh, Loyola didn't have a chance. It's going to be Illinois by 15 at least. I'm like, I think it's going to be one possession either way. Okay, so I was a little off on that. Loyola won by, like, 13 points. But either way, you have the nation's top defense. There's no disputing that. Usually it's about 56 points per game, I think, is what they averaged on defense. They held Illinois to 58. That includes Iota Sumu and Kofi Coburn. And let's not forget that Trent Frazier went, what, one for ten from the field? And Andre Curbelo got into turnover trouble again. Like, they got their defensive game plan together and stuck to it, and it was exactly what I thought they'd do. They double-teamed Kofi with Crutwig and Ugwak, stuck Williamson on to Sumu the whole time, and Illinois had to rely on everyone else. And the Illini came out flat, and it looked like they stayed flat. They just didn't have an answer for the defense. That's really... The story of the game, like, yeah, Loyola put up 71 points on Illinois. That's great. Crutwick put up a double-double and held Kofi not having a double-double. That's great. The defense is the story for me. Yeah, it was indeed, and their ability to play the passing lanes to per- perfection almost and be able to switch and collapse in the paint, as you mentioned, double and triple teaming at times with Kofi. That worked, and I almost feel like going to this game of Oregon State on Saturday, while Oregon State's play easily their best basketball all year. They've had to rely on a different score to lead them in the last four games, which is fine. They're, they're finding their groove or whatever, but let's keep in mind, this is the same Oregon State team that had no shot of making the NCAA tournament just two weeks ago. And what has been a good Pac-12 conference, but they if it wasn't for the tournament, they would have found themselves either in the NIT or just opting out of the season. Yeah, I mean, the thing with Oregon State, like you said, I, I think they – Essentially, they backed into the NCAA tournament because they've won the Pac-12 tournament. Like, if we were here two weeks ago, if we were talking, oh, Loyola's going to play Oregon State in the Sweet 16, no one would believe us. I think we'd be called crazy and laughed out of the building. And looking, I did, I did some looks into Oregon State today. And I'm looking at their numbers. Like, outside of Lucas and Thompson, I mean, Thompson was first team all Pac-12. They really don't have a lot of weapons. And when I say a lot of weapons, I mean they're – they're not very deep, it seems like. 
And, I mean, Silva's their big guy at 7-1. He averages 5.7 points a game. And you saw what Crutwig did to Kofi Coburg, who averages basically a double-double every game. So I, I really – I was watching this game last night, Oregon State, Oklahoma State. I was watching it, and I had Oklahoma State in my bracket, and I thought Oklahoma State was going to be the team that beat Loyola and knocked him out of the tournament. With this Oregon State matchup, I mean, Loyola's favored by six and a half or seven points, depending on where you look. I like this matchup for the Ramblers. I think there should be serious talk about an Elite Eight appearance, and depending on what happens to Houston, maybe another Final Four appearance. I mean, the, they ride the defense, and the offense gets hot. They, I mean, that was an efficient offense you saw against Illinois. They've done that all year. They did it again against the Illini, and I really, really like this matchup for the Ramblers, absolutely. Yeah, I think also it's a contrast of two styles, too. It's a little team that's basically for about the last month played for all 40 minutes in their games and have shown little signs of wearing down. And you start, and as the season started to develop, you're starting to see the bench develop also. You, we've seen some players that have come along because the biggest worry from yesterday's game was what, what would happen once Crutwood would come off the bench. I mean, he would go on the bench. Sorry about that. And we saw that answered very quickly, and they did not miss a step at all in that game. And that's my biggest concern with Oregon State, given that they they literally have no bench. And I know you like your things about free throws or free or whatever. And it's great that that's Ethan Thompson. <laughs> it's great that Ethan Thompson made 15 of his 16 free throws, but they have they're too up and down of a team. You saw it last night where. They had stretches of, oh, they look good, but then all of a sudden, oh, why is Oklahoma State making back-to-back threes? Why are you turning the ball over out of nowhere? They have no margin for error against Loyola Chicago. They do the same thing. This game will be over in the first 10 minutes. And that's the thing with Loyola's defense, too. Like Loyola's strength is their depth. I think that's been the story all year. The defense and the depth have been the two biggest strengths for this Loyola team. Oregon State doesn't have the depth, and, I mean, this goes for a lot of teams in college basketball. They haven't faced a defense like this Loyola team. I mean, 56 points a game. I mean, they did, like I said, if they didn't hold Illinois to 58, maybe be like, okay, the defense, the numbers are there. Maybe they're not all there defensively in terms of, like, are they the best? No, this is the best defense in the country, like statistically, and you saw it yesterday against Illinois. So with the starting five outside of them, like you said, they don't have a lot of weapons. And off the bench, I mean, Jacob Hudson – what he did against Kofi Coburn was impressive for a kid who wasn't supposed to play this year. I mean, him making shots over Coburn, I want to say he he blocked one of Kofi's shots, I think, or at least was like really strong defensively on one. I'm seeing it in my head. So having him match up against Silva, too, when Crutwig's on the bench, I mean, I think this game is Loyola's to lose. I'm just going to go out there and say it. I, I think the Ramblers have a lot going for them, and if they lose this game, it's going to be because they weren't – I mean, they're going to be prepared. They're a well-coached team, so I'm not worried about preparedness. I think it's going to be how they come out of the gate. If they come out strong, I don't think Oregon State has a chance. And I want to get into the current MVC Player of the Year on defense, Lucas Williamson. And a lot of people in the media nationally don't talk about him a lot. Saw in the big stage what he could do in terms of bothering, not only in one-on-one coverage, but being able to play the passing lanes to – you know, to perfection darn near, and the problems he can cause across the board. I, it's going to be hard for Oregon State to figure Lucas Williamson out because they're going to have issues across the board if they can't play consistently like they like the way they played on uh, last night against Oklahoma State. They're going to have trouble on, on Saturday. Well, I can tell you right now, just by looking at the numbers, I have no insight 
into Porter Moser's game plan. I don't even know if he started game planning because this game's out till Saturday, and this is Monday. But if I'm Porter Moser, Lucas Williamson and Nathan Thompson are going to be really good friends because they're not going to be apart from each other very long. I think Lucas is going to be on Thompson the entire time because Thompson, 15.6 points a game. He was the only player on Oregon State to name first team All-Pac-12 or All-Pac-12 at all outside of, I think it's, it's an Alatish, Alatish, I don't know how you pronounce his name. He was all defense. But Williamson on Thompson is going to be a matchup to see. And you saw Lucas, that play, the play that everybody saw on Twitter, Reminded you of Michael Jordan and Carl Malone. When Kofi Coburn was down low, Lucas came around and knocked the ball out of his hands. That was it. that was the best play of the day, in my opinion. And we had there were Kofi dunks. There was the tap pass from Crutwig from Crutwig to Clemens. The play of the day was Williamson getting that strip on Kofi Coburn down low. That shows you what he can do. And he's one of the best defenders in the country. Does he get the respect he deserves? No. And that's because he only puts up eight point eight points a game. Offense talks. You can't measure defense by stats. You measure defense by the two best tools. I think it's Adam Schefter that says this. The two best tools you've got, your left eye and your right eye. That's how you measure defense, and Lucas Williams passes the eye test without a doubt. I agree, and also what's kind of looked over a little bit is the obsession in the sport today of having, oh, all these great freshmen, they're dominant, whatever. And it's great and all. The freshmen, most of them will probably be good in the NBA one day, but... Most of them can't win the championship because they don't have a good team surrounded by them. But you have guys like Crutwig and Williamson who have stood through all four years of this and have seen what it's been like to be at the Final Four before. They have that experience to take them with this current team to where they're at now. That's something you don't teach. You can't teach that. You, you just hit the nail on the head, you know. I mean, with Crutwig and Williamson getting important minutes, they weren't just like garbage time minutes. So they were important minutes in that Final Four game against Michigan. And people overlooked this. Keith Clemens won a junior college national championship at Vincennes as their point guard. I mean, he is he's won his whole life, too. So you've got the Final Four experience, and you've got Keith's JUCO national championship experience. I mean, that's the intangible part of the game that you can't teach. And that's why, like, going up against Illinois, going into it, my dad even made the comment, and he was absolutely right. Illinois doesn't have NCAA tournament experience. Loyola has a Final Four and NIT experience under their belts. This team wins. And like I said, you got Clemens with the Juco. The experience is there. I think that's going to be the separator, especially into the Sweet 16, into the Elite Eight. Because I think this team's going to the Elite Eight at least. And that's something I wanted to go right into, is the whole seeding debate and whether or not they loyally gets their respect or not. And you brought, you, I'm glad you brought up the fact that you know, Loyola, you know, they... And it's just—it's it's been weird to like talk, to like read this on Twitter about oh well if Loyola was this Loyola was that it's like well maybe just give them the give them credit for the fact that yeah they actually went out and beat Illinois instead of this whole well they were this seed or whatever and they the NCAA shafted Illinois in this scenario it's like well you gotta go out there and beat your opponent no matter what this is the month of March if you can't beat your opponent that's there no matter what the round is well you don't you don't deserve to be a national champion. You know, Shannon Ryan retweeted a tweet about an Illinois fan saying, Loyola was underseeded, and I replied to it. Was Loyola underseeded? Yes. They should not have been an eight seed. Top 10 net, top 10 Ken Palm. What were they, number 16, number 17 in the country? They should not have been an eight seed. Is that why Illinois lost? No, it's not. It is not an excuse. Loyola did not get the respect it deserved. And everyone's coming out and saying this now. I was saying it night of on Selection Sunday. I saw it. I was working during the Selection show at the bar. 
and everybody, I was all happy, like, yeah, Loyola's up there, because I'm a proud alum now, I, I'm, a, I'm running my blog now, I can be a little more of a fan than when I was the beat reporter in 2018, so I'm like, yeah, Loyola, Illinois, second round, give me that, five minutes later, I, I think it was like about five minutes, I turned to somebody and go, how the hell are they in eighth seat? It's because they play in the Missouri Valley. They don't get the respect they deserve because they're a mid-major. But again, that's not why Illinois lost that game. I am tired of hearing that excuse. It's all over Twitter. It's been in my mentions. I've seen it in other people's mentions. Stop with the excuses. You got beat. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> just, it's one of those things. You know, I, I hear I hear it. You see it on Twitter. You hear it enough. I'm just like, I'm done with it. Like, Stop making excuses. You lost. That's, you did not lose because the NCAA basically shafted Loyola by giving them an eight seed. That's not why the, That's not why Illinois lost that game. They lost because Loyola came out strong and played the defensive game they played all year, and Illinois didn't have an answer. And to finish things up here in our quick little podcast we're doing on this Monday afternoon, was it now for Loyola to finally, for a change, be a favorite in a tournament game instead of being the team that was a Cinderella three years ago, which I still think is the dumbest thing ever because... You had announcers on CBS yesterday. Like, Jim Nance is a great play-by-play announcer all around. He's great at what he does in golf. He's great with Tony Romo in the NFL. But his his weakness to me is doing college basketball because he only does a tournament. And it's very evident in some, in some realms, not all the way, he doesn't do his research because he would not have came out and said Loyola was a Cinderella. You said that during the telecast yesterday. I was like, you haven't watched any basketball this year. Not to your fault. You have a schedule, but... Don't go out and say stuff that you can't back up because that this team is not a Cinderella team this year. They showed it all year long. They're a team not only worthy of being in the NCAA tournament but can make a deep run in the second weekend as we're seeing now. Well, hang on. Let's back up a second. <laughs> they are an eight seed. Whether they should be an eight seed or not, they are an eight seed. So by definition, they're a Cinderella story. Now, you and I have watched this team all year. Anyone who's watched this team all year knows they should not have been an eight. They probably should have been a five. I think that's safe to say. Four or five. Or maybe five or six. We'll say that. Either way. By definition on the bracket, this is a Cinderella story. But, I mean, even the national guys, like, I mean, even even Kevin Harlan did the Arch Madness Championship game. That, that doesn't bother me. When the announcers say, Loyola's Cinderella again. Now, when, like, the writers say that, like, the people who are covering this team more, like, if local writers were saying that, I'd have a completely different answer. But on the broadcast, I don't think it comes down to like doing research, et cetera, et cetera. I think it just comes down to this is the bracket. Illinois is a one seed. Loyola is an eight seed. Again, up for debate, but Loyola was an eight seed. They beat a one seed. That could be considered a Cinderella. Now, I'm not going to call them a Cinderella story. 2018, I called them a Cinderella. They were the 11 seed, came out of nowhere, wouldn't have been in the tournament if they lost Arch Madness. This year's different. They'd have gotten that large bid this year. So that separates them from the Cinderella story. But it's still a great mid-major story. I don't know what you call it when you don't call it Cinderella, but it's going to be very weird in a good way seeing Loyola wearing the white uniforms in the NCAA tournament for a change because they were they were wearing their away uniforms all through 18, and they wore their white uniforms in the first game against Georgia Tech because they were an 8C, Georgia Tech was a 9C. It's the second time this tournament we're seeing the white uniforms. Is they, are they a Cinderella story? No, but you've got to just respect them and say, okay, this is a really good team that was underseated. I think that's just the way to look at it. And if the announcers call them Cinderella story, that doesn't bother me. 
It was, it was just something that I noticed on the telecast yesterday. Hey, I'm, like, I'm also very biased because I'm a huge Jim Nance fan. Like I, I, I'm watching the Masters in a couple weeks. I'm a golf. I'm a golf addict. I say, I watch him call football games. I'm a big Jim Nance fan, and I think even if Brian Anderson or Ian Eagle or Kevin Harlan called him a Cinderella, by definition they are. It's very black and white to say that, but that that that, that stuff doesn't bother me. I know. It's just that you watch enough college basketball, and you, we all saw the run back in 2018. That was a Cinderella run back then, but it's like, yes. now it's like, okay, well, this is the second time in four years. I, they're legit. So, I mean, yeah, it, now, it's... If you call them bracket busters this time around, that would be accurate, because a lot of people had Illinois. So, if you want to call them bracket busters... Yes, yes. Like, there we go. That's that's fine. I think it's cliche <laughs> as hell, but, I mean, it's some, it's better than Cinderella from a fan standpoint. But I, I think... I think Loyola's got to let their game do the talking. I think that's what – I think that's kind of how Porter's approaching all the games. Is like, hey, we should have been an eight seed. We're going to let our game do the talking. And that's why I think you're looking at at least an elite eight team because I think they get past Oregon State. Yeah. Well, let's, let's say you get past Oregon State. That means the winner of Syracuse-Houston would be the matchup. And those would be two interesting matchups depending on who they would draw. I think both of them could be equally as difficult, but for different reasons, because Syracuse just likes to zone you to death, and they are so disciplined in that. And on the other side, they can just shoot you lights out, which would be very intriguing if that were to happen to watch their three-point game against Loyola's defense. Something would have to give in that matchup. If it's Loyola-Syracuse in the Elite Eight, take the under. That's all I got to say. Take the under, because there is no way that game's going over. I don't know, I don't know if that game would get to 100 points, just because that would be a defensive grind on both ends. No, I agree. And then the Houston game that finally wrapped things up this time around for real. Houston just likes to sit up there and get offensive rebounds out of nowhere, and they just like to guard your – they like to guard in the perimeter. That's kind of their game. That's how they were able to come back against Rutgers last night. I don't know if that would work in 40 minutes against Loyola, especially with somebody with the likes of Cameron Crutwick. I just don't see, even with as good as their guys are, I don't see them getting a lot of offensive rebounds. Took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, that the perimeter defense doesn't matter when you play through a point center because then you can just you pick and roll and you everything works through the center. So perimeter defense, like that's beatable with a point center. And I know you want to wrap things up, so I won't go on too much about it. But, I mean, I, I think – Either matchup would be good from a Loyola standpoint. I don't know. I don't know if they'd win them just because they're going to be grinds, but I, I, it could come down to a last-second shot like 2018 or something. I don't know. But that's what Porter doesn't want to get ahead. I know that he won't even address it. If you ask Porter Moser what team he wants to face in the Elite Eight, he won't answer it. He's he's like I'm. He'll, he'll say, and I'm probably going to quote him directly. I am locked in on Oregon State. I'm not focused on anything else. I'm dialed into them. So it's fun for us to talk about, but we won't get an answer from Porter until after the game, assuming they win against Oregon State. That's about right. That's, that's, that sums it up perfectly, man. Yeah, I just, yeah, can't wait for regional semifinals weekend Saturday and Sunday. It's going to be great to have all these games as standalones and not games being played at the same time. So bring it on, man. This has been a wild tournament. It's going to be even wilder. I think, I'm sure things will happen tonight in the rest of the second round. But, Nick, thanks for coming on here. What have you been doing over the last year and all this craziness in this world, man? <laughs> well, I, after graduating from Loyola and not ready for the Loyola Phoenix anymore, I run a blog called Out the Inbound covering Illinois college basketball, which I guess is now just a Loyola blog because they're the only team left. 
So that's at offtheinbound.com. And I host a weekly radio show on Loyola Student Radio Station, WLUW, on Sundays. Since this game's on Saturday, I'll have a show this Sunday this time. It got bumped because of the game this week. But I'll be going all out with coverage. It's going to be fun. Looking forward to it. And most definitely, man. Thanks for coming on the Geno Green Experience. And who knows if Loyola can somehow win both games this weekend. Can have you back on for our Final Four roundtable, which would be which will include a lot of guests. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> My pleasure, Gino. Thanks for having me, man. I'll talk to you soon. Yep.